Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. I usually use this time of the podcast to let Ben talk about all the incredible publications that he's, he's written for lately. Ben, do it, please. Well, uh, you can find my work at Haggerty, at Inside Hook, and at Motor Trend. Very cool. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week I'm going to be talking about the new 2021 Nissan Rogue. And this is really important because the Rogue is an extremely popular car, despite the fact that it's not that great. I mean, in the last <laughs> wow. generation. In the I, last generation. I, I want to say that the Rogue is not only the best-selling Nissan in a, quite a long time for like across their whole portfolio. But I think it was also going up for the title of best-selling non-truck in America. Is that possible, Sammy? I think that's possible. I'm not quite sure. I don't have the numbers on that. I think it was but like top it, five for sure. It is really significant to talk about the Rogue, especially because the last generation models were so popular, like incredibly popular. And well, why, why were they so popular, Sammy? Let's break it down. I, uh... Ben, I struggle to find out exactly what makes them so popular because I don't think it's as um, comfortable and spacious as a the last generation model. I'm, spe- I'm speaking specifically yes. about the last generation model. Um, the I don't think the last generation model was as comfortable or spacious as a Honda CRV, um, and it didn't carry the same cachet, that same like reliability cred that the um, Toyota Rav4 had, um, and it wasn't as uh, rugged as a Subaru Forester. So I always found it to be a little like in between everything else. But I think the pricing was really attractive. I think you could get into a all-wheel drive model very easily. And it was, just because it wasn't as spacious as a CRV doesn't mean it's not spacious at all. It's still pretty big. Well, I want to say that, you know, all the things you just said are very true about the previous generation Rogue, but it was super, super popular and it sold super well. And the reason for that, in my opinion, was price. I think Nissan went super hardcore and made this a price war where they just wanted the volume. They wanted to be able to say we're the best selling SUV, et cetera, et cetera. And so they not only made the Rogue very affordable at the MSRP level, but there were tons and tons of incentives loaded onto this onto this SUV. So what that means is for the last generation models, uh, you've got a lot of buyers who have set foot in a Nissan dealership and are really comfortable with their Rogue. And now Nissan is really upping their game when it comes to the the Rogue. The model I drove if the 2021 model is the platinum all-wheel drive model, which is the most fully loaded version of the car. Um, And it cost $36,000, almost $37,000. That's U.S. dollars? That's U.S. dollars. And that's not... um, that's a pretty average price to me, but I also need to add that the new Rogue, in line with a lot of what Nissan is doing across their lineup, is actually pretty impressive. It has a really high-tech, uh, a, a bunch of high-tech features. It has a really premium-feeling cabin. Um, the, the main worries that I have with it in, and criticisms that I have with it is they haven't really changed anything when it comes to the engine at all. Uh, it is a 181 horsepower, 181 pound-feet of torque, 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine, and it's made it to a CVT. There's nothing special when it comes to this engine or this powertrain. It gets the job done. I think it'll be pretty um, fuel-efficient, which should bode well for those people who are worried about um, pricing. 
But where Nissan really did pick up the game is in terms of their interior quality and the amount of technology that this vehicle has. So you're I saying will, you're, yeah. you're saying that I mean price was a big factor for the previous vehicle. I, I just mm. wanted to ask you two questions while we're still in this area. What's the base price on the Rogue? And when you say interior quality, how does it compare to the previous model? Which at times. I mean, it felt very rental fleet at the entry level, and as you paid more, it got a little bit nicer, but I can't really remember thinking that the cabin of the previous Rogue was its best attribute. Okay, so the base um, Rogue, which comes with front-wheel drive in in the U.S., cost $25,000, $25,600 actually, uh, so almost a $10,000 difference between a, a loaded model and a base model. And uh, yeah, you're 100% right when it comes to the interior quality. It has, it is, it is not just design, but it is the materials that have made this vehicle so stand out, in my opinion. Um, it, it reminds me of the leap that Subaru made with their interiors um, in the last generation of their products. Nissan has made that same leap with just going from a vehicle that felt really Spartan and simple to something that feels a little bit more fleshed out. Uh, and special that's a pretty if, big any, that's a pretty big leap i mean yeah if they, anything it reminds me of if you've been in a in a nissan murano or a maxima you probably are uh are familiar with just how well like how how seamless the design can feel like it just doesn't feel like oh here's a bunch of buttons this is a this is an hvac controller which no, is the way that it felt in the in the rogue of the past so right? when you talk about the maxima i want to get specific on that so to me the current generation maxima which has been on the market a very long time uh when it i think first, six years now right yeah when it first came out though it had such a great passenger compartment. It was mm-hmm. incredible. If you if you decided to spend all the money on a Maxima and get the the top trim, you got these like diamond quilted seats and all the materials were really nice and the design was nice and it just really felt like a car that was trying to be something that it wasn't, like it was reaching class above. And yep. it was right around that time when people completely stopped caring about full-size sedans. Yeah. So you had like the Maxima and the Avalon, which were like really nice inside and no one was buying them anymore. And, it, and I think that's why we haven't had an updated Maxima. And it's really too bad because it was such a great car from a comfort perspective. And from mm-hmm. if you were to get one on the used market, you would be driving something that honestly feels Lexus-like in terms of its interior execution at a price that's probably 30 to 40% what you would pay for a luxury car. Absolutely, I agree. Um, it is a shame that the full-size sedan market has kind of like been depleted in terms of what kinds of and and we've lost all enthusiasm for it. There's nothing interesting happening in that segment for a while. Maybe the Avalon now, but I just don't see the point. Maybe the right? TRD Avalon. I know you're all about that. <laughs> um, but Nissan did take that momentum that they started with the Maxima and put it into the Murano, and now I'm seeing that same effort being applied to the Rogue, which I think is really important. However, I don't really appreciate the exterior design of the vehicle i think it looks a little puffy it looks it does not look attractive in my opinion um but i know that styling is really you know it's up to the customer and up to the buyer but it just does not look like it would compare favorably to the uh rav4 for example or even a a ford focus or a mazda cx5 but you've been critical of the rav4 in the past for its styling so saying that the rogue doesn't match the RAV4 in terms of looks, that's kind of a, a, a bold thing to say. I actually really like the current generation RAV4. It's really, you know, it has that boxy shape, um, really rugged looking. It allows it to appeal to like the SUV elements, even though it is more of a soft rotor and not really a, 
a for like a forerunner or anything like that, right? Yeah, it's it's a thousand percent a soft rotor. <laughs> so I want to talk about some of the features again. This interior I had um, really gorgeous, really um, like full like full of those quilted leather seats um, and the the really special. What's the best way I can say it? Um, like layout, uh, it, it just feels cohesive, which isn't the way that past rogues felt. Like I said, sometimes it just felt like here's a button bank of all these features. Here is the HVAC control si- system. Here is your infotainment system. And now, th- like Nissan does love to boast that some of these features that they have are like class leading in terms of like the size of the screen, for example, is uh, the infotainment system has an eight inch screen, which I think is. It's like I think that's that's classly. Oh, nine-inch screen, which is apparently the largest in the class. Uh, I don't think that's a big difference. They also come with a huge head-up display. Again, they bill it as the largest head-up display in its class. Head-up displays are starting to get a little out of control, don't you think? (laughs) What do you mean by that? I love a good head-up display. As Um, do I. I think it's I think it's a very critical part of uh, driver safety and preventing sort of. uh, distracted driving. It helps to know that what features are on. For example, if you have adaptive cruise control, and some of these vehicles as well are starting to showcase um, or show off blind spot monitoring indicators in your in your head up display. So you, you don't you need to you don't even need to worry about even initiating a turn because you know there's someone's in your blind spot already. I guess what I mean when I say out of control is because you mentioned it was the the largest head up display. Yeah. So I'm not sure that's something you want to boast about because. The bigger a head-up display is, the more intrusive it is because it's directly in your line of sight. It's not like a big screen on the console or, sorry, the uh, the dash that you have to look over at. This The head-up display is right in front of you. And there's a couple that have driven recently in, I'd say, the last five months where it, it was large to the point of being distracting. Yeah. And you could put so much stuff on it at the same time that it mm-hmm. was also distracting in the sense that there were icons that would flash on and off at the corners of the screen and then you'd have a rev counter and then you'd have a speed and then you would also have like the song you're listening to and then you would also have like the speed limit detection and then as you mentioned all the stuff about the active safety is being displayed and it just feels like it's like a yeah. dog's breakfast of displays <laughs> just like right in your face and it can occasionally block what's happening on the road uh i don't I, I hear where you I hear what you're saying. I don't share the same uh, worries about that. Well, you I have, think that... you have a higher cognitive function than I do. so your your brain can probably separate the virtual from the real. But for me, it's all it's all happening all at once, and it can right. be overwhelming. I've heard that you, you you've called me in the middle of the night with that sort of stuff, that sort of concern. I didn't even know I was calling you. That's how weird it was. <laughs> I just felt lonely. um. The other thing that this thing has, in addition to all of those, you know, first of all, actually, I need to talk about big head-up displays. Do head-up displays ever look small to you? Well, I mean... Like, they, they take, they either occupy a de- like a tiny part where they just show, like, your, your speed, or they are bigger and they showcase more things like your navigation instructions or, like I said, uh, cruise control settings. Well, a lot of head-up displays are configurable in the sense that you can choose what's on them. And you right. can often... Sometimes you can't necessarily remove things, but you can change how they're displayed. Like, uh, I think GM allows for multiple um, versions of a tachometer. So you can have, like, just numbers, which is really weird. You can have a a bar that rises and falls. And obviously the bar is going to take up more space, right? Or you can have no tach at all. See, kind of what all I really care about in a head-up display is um, the speed that I'm going I sometimes like having speed, like 
speed limit information because if I'm driving, oh yeah, unfamil- that's so helpful. Yeah, unfamiliar yeah. roads. Like it's nice to have that reality check so you don't just cruise control your way at a speed you normally would drive. That can mm. help you save some tickets. I don't need to know what song I'm listening to because I have ears and I navigation stuff. I I'm gonna be honest. I don't really like having it on the screen. I don't like having arrows and, and whatnot. I, I prefer to see that on a map, but that's just me. So I would probably have like a minimalist screen where it's just, you know, vehicle speed, uh, speed limit stuff, and probably that's it. Okay. Um, I, even if I'm, on, if I'm on a racetrack and I'm driving a car, I probably – the only thing I care about on a racetrack is um, temperature, vehicle temperature. Sorry, the, the coolant temperature, oil pressure, and RPM. I probably don't need to see RPM on the head-up display because, again, I have ears. Uh, so that would, I think, I even I'm not sure what I would want that's not already there on a very basic version of these displays. Okay. Um, in, in addition to those two features, which I said, a, not, a large 9-inch um, touchscreen and a nearly 10-inch head-up display, uh, Nissan also offers a 12.3-inch digital gauge cluster. Which I actually did not like, and, and for the same reason that you described not liking a, a very busy head-up display. I found the gauge cluster to be cluttered with a lot of information, and some of it was really difficult to, to separate from one another. And I didn't find, the, I didn't find customizing it very easy or, or you know, intuitive. So there's a lot of features in this car, and one of the more important things to talk about is uh, their ProPilot Assist. This is a Nissan suite of safety equipment as well as you know, driver assistance features. And um, they've improved it this time around. They've added a few more, um, like, cameras. And uh, so they've got a next-generation radar and a next-generation front-facing camera. They've also revised the tuning of their um, steering assistance feature because apparently this meant... In the past, the, the, the steering, and you've, you've probably felt this, sometimes the steering can be, like, really jerky and will, like, it just feels like you're bouncing off, like, lane marking. Yeah, like a you know pinballing I mean? almost. And so they've really smoothed that out. And then fully loaded models use a GPS and route guidance system to um, automatically adjust the vehicle's speed based on an upcoming curve in the road ahead, which I think is pretty cool, too. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Say that again. Okay. So the Platinum models, yes. when, you are, when you have ProPilot Assist on and you have a, a destination set in your navigation, okay. the car will, will pay attention to its sort of GPS markers and the, next, the upcoming road that it's going to be on. And notice that if there's a turn coming up ahead, it can slow the vehicle down uh, in anticipation of that. So it's okay. not like just flying at that, in, that really, you know, let's say you, you've got uh, the cruise control set for uh, 55 but there's a curve coming up, and you need to um, probably slow down to something like uh, 45, for example. Uh, the car will, will probably do that for you. So just going to put this out there. No one should be using cruise control on a two-lane road, first okay. of all. Any yeah. kind of road where there's going to be significant differences in changing direction. And I yeah. mention this because if you're on a highway, like an interstate highway, or in Canada we call them auto routes because we've got to be different um, – Almost all of those corners are designed to be taken at like 200 kilometers an hour. They're they're incredibly well engineered. I can't think of a situation where I've been on an interstate driving, let's say, the speed limit, 65 miles an hour, and I've encountered a corner that was not safe to drive at 65 miles an hour. This is this seems like a really strange safety feature. Well, I think there's a there are a lot of uh, people who would like to use this sort of these driver assistance features on. Um, 
on lesser travel, traveled roads. I think that makes sense. Well, is ProPilot Assist, does it only do this when cruise control is on or will it push back on the gas pedal? No, it only does it when, when cruise control is on. So you would use cruise control on a two-lane road? Hey, man, if the feature is there, yeah, I would definitely. Really? Yeah. It, uh, wow. Well, for, okay, for mind blown. I, 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 I don't uh, know what to cruise say. Cruise control helps prevent me from getting uh, tagged by the police if I'm going above uh, a speed limit. If I'm not paying attention and you're on an empty road, that's when they want you. So that's when they always get you. We but also I, have like a couple of roads here that transition from a highway into a like uh whatever you call it a regional road and it's like it just happens like that really dramatic like not dramatically without with little um the fanfare it just but goes tra- you're on a highway a and then bam you're like but there's so much traffic on a two-lane road like how would cruise control be useful yeah i well, feel it's like adaptive cruise control that's what's great about it oh my goodness you know what i you know when i was when i was a teenager and did a lot of stupid things in cars. I remember getting the first car I ever had that had cruise control. It was like a 19, I want to say 85 Chevy uh, Celebrity, which was yep. a terrible car, a truly terrible car. But it had cruise control. And I thought that was super cool because uh, it had that GM multifunction stock on the side. Sure. And um, I, I just want to say I was not a teenager in the 80s. I'm not a million years old. <laughs> but I, I was a teenager in the 90s, so marginally less old. And and these are the cars I could afford at the time. Anyway, whatever. Back to the story. So it had that multifunction stock where you could set the cruise control and then accelerate and decelerate using this little switch that you would yeah. flip back and forth. And I now every that, car has this. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I would, in town... See, I think you had to be going like 35 kilometers an hour, which is, I think, 17 miles an hour to set cruise control. So I would get up to that speed. I would set it. And then I would just accelerate and decelerate with that that <laughs> with button. The, with, the, with the stock. It's the dumbest thing in the world, man. <laughs> but I was all about it. Um, I will add, though, one of the things I do like about Nissan is their implementation of um, their driver assistance features. Some cars, when they can't see a lane marking or the vehicle in front of them, um properly or, or or sorry they're they detect a vehicle in front of them they make these large like l- loud warning signs that kind of like startle you and make you worry that everything is okay um these ones are a little bit like nissan has a, a far more gentler tone when ProPilot assist is on so it can detect it knows that it can de- it it lets you know without scaring you that it can detect the lane markings or not so you're calmer when the accident happens, is what <laughs> yeah, you're saying. You're like, well, his body wasn't tense when they hit that wall. <laughs> well, I think when when if the if the car goes like beep when the lane markings um, when the car can detect or detect or, or not detect the lane markings, the first um, reaction from the driver is probably to hit the brakes, and that will turn off the adaptive cruise control completely, and then that might cause some sort of uh, backup or other. Um, confusion with the driver. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's a very difficult world when we're talking about how mm-hmm. much of an alert. Uh, excuse me, how much of an alert do you want to give a driver just because the system's on or off? Because they need to know. Right? Yeah, they need they to need know. To, I, I agree with that. They it's critical, but at right. the same time, if it's doing it all the time, you tune it out, and then when something yeah. really bad happens, you won't pay attention. So it's right. like it, it's a. <laughs> It's almost like these systems don't make you safer. (laughs) It seems to me that um, it's maybe a better idea to just pay attention to driving. 
I agree with this. Um, I think you're. I think you're right. I do think that um, adaptive cruise control systems are great, especially for like the highway and stuff. But when you start implementing a lot of these features, putting them all together, um, they're n- they they really distract you from the act of driving. And then once you get like, they really disengage you from the act of driving, not distract you. They disengage you from the yeah, act of disengage driving. Disengage is a great way. To and it, it. it it almost encourages you to pay less attention to the act of driving. Um, and I think that, it, like, honestly, you're supposed to be driving, hands on the wheel, eyes out the, uh, out the window. You're but completely when right. The car, when the car, yeah, I know. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, no more affirmations for the rest of this podcast. No, no, no. I have, um, been, I have been put in my place from well, you can't, encouraging... You can't just agree with me for, when I say you need to be looking out the window when you drive your car. Why? I guess I can't. <laughs> I mean, I thought I could, but then I was really shown the error of my ways. So okay. it's only going to be a bitter type of antagonism for the remainder of this episode. Okay, no, hold on. Um, so you... you you should be driving that way, but when you are you are you sure about that? Yeah, I think so. But when you enable this feature, you've got nothing else to do, right? I've got so much else to do. Like what? I, I let me count the things I could be doing. I could be playing uh, my Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. I could be doing my nails. I could be editing the script for the next podcast. Script? What I, script? <laughs> You know, the, the the script that I read from that you dis- disregard every single episode. And I try to bring you back to it, but you're like, no, you know what? I know that I'm right. I don't need to read the script. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Um, I will admit that the, the new Rogue is quite um, – it, it impressed me. It impressed me a lot. However, there are a, a few key things that they need to improve upon, particularly that powertrain needs to change. Um, not that it's bad, but it just is, it just does not have personality. It does not define itself against its rivals. And I think that's really interesting because, um, other vehicles in the segment have multiple, um, powertrain options. The RAV4 has two different types of hybrids to choose from. The Ford Escape has two different turbocharged engines. The Mazda CX-5 has a couple of different engines. Um, I think only the Forester and the CRV are among, um, the popular choices that do not have multiple engine options and it's not like nissan doesn't have other engines in its set in its um in its portfolio in the u.s they started offering that uh, variable compression turbo on the nissan altima i believe and that engine would probably make for a really good fit in the rogue as well so i think it's about time that they do something like that or they commit to a to a hybrid or electric ve- vehicle because nissan well, they, is trying they, to showcase that they're on the cutting edge of that they did have a hybrid rogue and i don't think anyone bought it I think yeah. it was a big failure. So that probably is why we're not seeing it now. Uh, I could be completely wrong, though. And feel free to tell me that I'm wrong and that you're right as many times as is necessary for this yeah, remainder, sure, remainder of this episode. But uh, variable turbo, I think that that kind of option, to be honest, it, do you think Nissan has walked away from the idea of the Rogue being a price-first vehicle? Not yet. No, so that's that's why there's no variable turbo. I mean, that would make it harder. That would really increase the <clears throat> the distance between the best rogue and the and the quote unquote worst rogue. You know, like yeah, the base rogue. Yeah. So I, that would be. A, I, do you want to buy a forty thousand dollar rogue? Mm, I don't know because when you get into a into a platinum all wheel drive rogue, you're like, this is a nice car. This is a very, um, it's well equipped. It feels fancy. It's fairly quiet. Um, 
it is smooth. Why not add the powertrain to that equation as well? And I think you would, it, with the rest of the vehicle being as good as it is, um, I think they could probably pull, pull it off. But if you get up to $40,000, you're up against other vehicles at that point that are maybe larger and a class above kind of deal. So that I might know, be... Like the, the Mazda CX-5 Turbo, I think it's called a signature trim. Um, that can be pretty expensive too. But it's it's quite nice inside. And I think that Nissan is really is, is keeping up. Okay. Uh, you mentioned there were a lot of new next-generation cameras in this uh, vehicle. How many of those cameras are pointed at the driver at any given time? I don't think there are any, any cameras pointed at the, at the driver. As, as of right now, all I know is that the Subaru Forester is the one that has that driver-facing camera and the robot that tells you that you're paying attention to the road or not. And it's not all it tells which, you, though. Right, Sammy? Which, yes, that is true. It's, it does greet you and say goodbye to you when you're getting in and out of the car. And calls but you I will when admit, it's lonely in the middle of the night. That's the just dri- you, Sammy, man. I'm in the driveway. Oh, that's me, too. <laughs> yes. um, so, and, and again, going back to what we mentioned with these driver assistance features, like that driver-facing camera is an important part of the equation because it ensures that um, the driver can't be disengaged. On the other hand, that is really annoying for someone to be told, pay attention, look out the window, do everything. And some of, the, some of the driver alert systems are so just random. Oh, my I, God. Man. Like, if anybody complains about this, it would be you. What? I have had driver. No. Yeah, I've been in the car with you when the thing is like, hey, you should maybe take a break. And we literally just started driving. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not they're not always great, especially like let's say you live in. in so in Montreal, the roads are horrendous, like all the time. So mm-hmm. you're often swerving to avoid potholes and stuff like that. And that kind of behavior for the algorithm decides whether you should be driving or not. It's a big red flag. So a lot when of the, the time, it's detects, like, yeah, when the car detects that you're jerking at the wheel, it assumes that you're like, at fault, the wheel. You, yeah, if you're making really quick um, change, like direction changes, it assumes that you are not paying attention to what you're doing and therefore should take a break. Sammy. I remember this because we literally just started driving. I think it was a Lincoln MKX. Uh, our MKZ, Z, yes. I can't remember what it was. And we had our navigation directions set up, and I think I was trying to navigate us to somewhere a little bit more interesting. And you kept blowing by all of the navigation instructions that they were telling you Whoa, to turn blowing at. blowing by. And then you kept, like, making really sudden, like, uh, like direction changes. And then the thing just got real upset with you. You made it me was, sound like a maniac. No, like. There was no, like, gradual warning about it, like, saying... Uh, maybe you should consider taking a break. It was literally like, take a break, guy. Like, just let somebody else drive. Look, if there wasn't a camera pointed at me, I wouldn't be jerking at the wheel. Let's just <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Very well said. Um, let's continue this conversation, though, about um, a, a more enthusiast-oriented car, a car that requires you to be engaged, which is what you've been driving uh, this week, right? Well, it certainly hopes that you're engaged, Sammy. Um oh. It's the 2020 Honda Civic SI Coupe. And uh, this car is kind of... I know it's a 2020 and we're getting to the end of the model year. And I was actually scolded by Sammy for having driven a 2020 model. (laughs) Uh, We're on 2021 model year now, Ben. Come on. But the reason this is significant is because there is no 2021 model year for the Civic SI. Uh, It's going to take a year off and then we're going to get a redesigned version in 2022. But more than that, there's no more coupes, period. Like, that's it for, for the Honda Civic. They weren't selling enough of them, so we're just going to get sedans and hatchbacks, I think, from here on out. So that means that this is the last hurrah for this particular car and this particular form factor. 
Okay, um, so is this a special edition or anything? Did they no, make it the special color? Like, Did they put a plaque on the on the dashboard? Honda doesn't care. They were like, "Not nah, too bad. Doesn't matter. You didn't care." <laughs> They're like, "You didn't care enough to buy this. We don't care enough to tell you that you didn't care enough to buy this." Like that's that's their attitude. But that's great. I, I, I'm someone who is somewhat agnostic on the Type R uh, in terms of driving feel. We've talked about it a lot on the past. But for this car, I have not, I looked at my record, so I've driven a bunch of Civics recently, and by recently I mean last four or five years. I've not driven an SI since 2012, Sammy. That's the wrong car. That's it another is. generation of That's the previous I think, I think one might have snuck in there. I, I, that might be an exaggeration. But uh, it's been a very long time since I've driven an SI. They're not always easy to get in the fleet because they were really pushing the Type R's. And uh and that plenty of times. Yeah, yeah. So um I jumped at the chance when I saw that there was an SI coupe. I'm like, okay, here's here's my opportunity. Actually, I was supposed to drive uh I can't remember if it was a type R or an SI this time yeah. last year, but um there was some kind of accident with it and it was removed from the fleet like the week before I was supposed to get it. So, you know, a lot of bad luck. Anyway. So you finally got your chance a year later and when it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, I mean we're commemorating its loss, I guess. Um, I, I want to say I was pleasantly surprised by this vehicle. I didn't expect a lot. I like the Civic in its normal form. I think it's a pretty good compact car, but the recent SIs haven't been amazing. Mm -hmm. They've been kind of in between what you would expect uh, from a modern performance compact and what you used to get from a performance compact. Uh, there was a time when the Civic SI meant you got a high-revving four-cylinder engine, naturally aspirated. It was kind of a visceral car. It was very well-connected, usually light. Um, the current generation Civic is none of those things. So the SI, uh, personality-wise, hadn't really spoken to me for quite a while. That All that being said... I think that this is a pretty compelling package at oh, a very come on. at really? a very appealing price. That's so, wild. Name name another compact coupe. So yeah, this is the the conversation will invariably go this way because there are no there. Are, I think I don't think there are other compact coupes. There's there? this. There's the uh, BRZ. Oh, the oh no, I mean like a front wheel drive. No, Base. but but even if you're looking at compact coupes that are sporty, I think that that's pretty much your only option because the Kia Forte is out of the picture now, right? Yeah, and the Elantra is gone too. So I think the closest thing to it would be a Veloster. Yeah, but a Veloster is a hatchback. So again, like if you want a coupe, you don't really have any options. Um, if you want and a hatchback, and a Veloster has three doors, so it's fifty percent more more you, doors. If, than... if you, yeah, it is. Well, yeah. If you want a, uh, if you want a hatchback, there's tons of choices. I mean, you can get a GTI. Yeah. You could get a. Uh, yeah. Can you still get a two door GTI? Oh, that's a good question. No, I don't think you can. Okay. But you can still get. So, a hatchback. Okay, you're right. You're right. Uh, compact. I, I wouldn't. I mean. The thing about the, the Civic SI is that it's a sporty compact, and I think that some of the rear-wheel drive cars, like the Miata and the BRZ and the FRS, or sorry, Toyota 86, is, uh, they're like sports cars. Like They're, they're, you know, they're small sports cars, like I gotta, not sporty I, compacts. No, but i got to dial back what I just said. You know, we're talking about, oh, you can't get coupes. You can get a Camaro and a Mustang. Yeah, those aren't, they, just, they feel like completely different classes. Right? And they, are, they do feel a lot bigger. There's no yeah. question. Um, but they are technically coupes. They are technically sporty. They are technically turbo fours. 
but definitely a different class of vehicle, I think. So Civic Si, it's kind of its own thing these days. Um, it has I've mentioned all of those things. Don't all of those things invariably lead to the death of the Civic Si? Those other cars are so much more fun to drive, um, bigger. I think that the, the, the people just don't buy coupes. Yeah. And I think that because the BRZ is, is an exception because, you know, it's lightweight rear-wheel drive, very unique. No one's buying uh, the, that either. I'm sorry? No one's buying that either. No one's either. buying that either. But the reason people buy Mustangs and Camaros is because there's a V8 version. So there's you're either getting that version and you feel good about it or you're getting a pretty powerful Turbo 4 version or V6 version that still looks like the V8 version and has that kind of appeal. Okay. So the the Civic Si doesn't really have that. I mean, they make the sedan version, and I think they make a hatchback. I'm not sure about that. Um, I'm sure that you can get one. But uh, the coupe is just kind of the odd the odd car out of that family. Okay. I want to talk about the Si because this current generation Si is actually um, – I actually like it a lot. I don't have a lot of complaints for it. A lot of people will say that it's lost its character now that it's got a turbocharged engine um, and that steering feels kind of gone. But I really like the duality of the vehicle. I think when you have it, there's like a there's like a sport mode, and um, yeah, and you a, get a, you get adaptive dampers, uh, adaptive dampers, which right out of the box, a so. huge deal. Look, those other cars we mentioned don't have adaptive dampers at this price point. They just don't, and that's a big deal for a compact uh, hatchback, a uh, compact. A compact coupe, sorry. It's kind of where the WRX was a few years ago, where it like wasn't super fast anymore, and it was kind of. Like, the drivetrain was fine, but it wasn't something that was going to blow you away. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it, it's... I don't know if that's a good place for it to be, but uh, it's, two, you know, 205 horsepower, 192 pound-feet of torque. You get a six-speed with it, which is nice. Uh, it's standard as well. Electric power steering, like you said, the, the, the steering feels not great, but the car is it's, it's relatively fun to drive. A lot of people complain about the um, the overhang, uh, uh, of the rev, the rev hang, sorry. When yeah. you're uh, driving quickly and you're shifting gears, it's a decent amount of rev hang. But I find it's not as bad as it was in past Honda models. It's and with the torque curve of the um, one and a half liter engine, you're, you you don't really have to ring it out to to get decent power. And it's you know with a manual transmission, we talked we've complained a lot about how these turbo fours you don't line them up to the red line and have a blast. That's more noticeable in an automatic, I think, than it is mm-hmm. in manual because you just have more control and you can loaf around in a certain gear if you want to. You're not at the beck and call of a computer calling the shots for shifting. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Um, so like, I, like I will admit my time with the SI is positive. I've never had the coupe. I don't think. So talk to me about this whole coupe thing. Is this good? Should the civic still be offered as a coupe or is it's time? Has its time passed? And I, additionally, like the civic coupe, it used to be a small car. Now it feels kind of big, right? It is kind of big. It's not really big though. I mean, I don't no, really, no. you know, it's not, you're not in it and you're like, well, this is difficult to park or this feels no, like an no. Accord or anything like that. Um, I think that the coupe looks good, but there's no question that it's not as nearly as practical as a four door. And I think that that's probably one of the things that did it in, you know, okay. like if, if you're, if you're looking at the coupe side, the sedan and you're like, hmm, which one of these should I pick? And you have a family or you have friends that you're regularly driving around. You are definitely going to be saying, uh, I I want a sedan. I want something with four doors. Um, it's just it, the the practicality of this thing is really hard to deny. This, the coupe is really just a style first choice. And there were times where I had stuff in the backseat of the coupe and it was irritating to have to go get it. 
uh, I don't know, Sammy. I think that the market has really spoken on small coupes for for this reason, especially if you're offering a sedan version directly across the highway. Which is such a shame because I there used to be so many, right? You, yeah. you mentioned uh, Kia Forte Coupe. I believe there was an Elantra Coupe for a while. There was the um, the Scion TC, which was really cool. Um, what else was there? I feel like everything was offered. Like back you in the day, there was Toyota the Toyota Echo Coupe, I think. Yeah, there was a Cobalt <laughs> Coupe. Um, um, I just want to correct myself from earlier. There is no SI hatchback, so it's only sedan or uh, coupe. Oh, wild. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it is so interesting that we've now witnessed this segment just, like, disappear. Well, I mean, coupes were killed by SUVs in almost across the board. Everything was killed by SUVs. Everything fun was killed by SUVs. Coupes, wagons, they're gone. Convertibles, they're gone, too. It's all SUVs. <laughs> SUVs are the millennials of the car industry. They're blamed for everything. No, they're the cake. Everything is everything is cake. Now everything is a crossover now. Wow. That's a very obscure reference, Sammy. I know. Uh, it's All my baking friends will certainly get it, I'm sure. Another fun thing about the <laughs> Honda Civic Si is it has a volume knob on its stereo system, which the Clarity I drove the week before did not have. So thank you for the volume knob. Uh, no thank you for Lane Watch, which is still present and accounted for in this car. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who didn't hear my diatribe last week, Lane Watch, every time you turn right and put the turn signal on, the center screen is taken over by a video image of the area directly to the right of the car. It's very distracting, um, and it locks you out of the the infotainment system unless you push the button. You can turn it off. in the. There's a system menu in the systems for the car where you can just disable the feature. It would be the first thing I did if I was driving a Honda. <laughs> I just don't want to have my attention drawn away from the road to look at something that is kind of like a grainy black and white. Or at night, it's it's really poor quality video. It's just, it's, it's not helping anybody. Okay, so talk to me about the future of Honda small cars that are interesting to drive. Is there such a thing? Any yeah, I mean right? they're going to keep making the sedan. You know, right? So okay. I don't see a problem there. The coupe will come back in 2022, maybe, but uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's, you know, I'm glad cars like this exist. It's sad that it's going away. I don't think it's, I don't think the SI is a significant car anymore. I think that it's day has been, um, it's, it's passed behind us. And right now the type R is taking all the glory for Honda and that's where their focus is going to be. And I can understand that the the, the, Hyundai has really kind of kicked things up when it comes to affordable performance. And I think Honda has fallen behind. Uh, I think the Honda is more of a maybe a mature choice compared to Hyundai, just in terms of um, features and and reputation for the brand. But they're not really on the cutting edge of affordable performance anymore. I also think it's worth talking. Like Honda is changing their um, their strategy in North America. In in other parts of the world, they offer the new the new fit. I don't think we're getting that. Um, and in addition, they've offered this really cool uh, electric car, which is really adorable and, like, from what I understand, is, is pretty good to drive. It's called the Honda E, um, and it looks great. So I was I was really hoping that you know we're gonna we're starting to see the phase out of these vehicles in North America, like the Civic Si Coupe, um, so that they can start introducing a few more of the cars that are have shown some success in other markets. I I'm, I don't know if it's so much that I think maybe we're losing the fit because the HRV generates more profits. So, and, yeah, and that was the next thing. Can you imagine a, an HRV SI if it had a turbocharged engine? Would that get anything done? I don't. That's a really intriguing question. Um, Honda does not have a history of producing high-performance trucks. 
of any kind. So you got to start somewhere. I guess so. Uh, I don't think the HRV is attractive enough to have a. Well, I, it doesn't have. To, it doesn't have to be a pretty car. It's a practical car. I don't know if you'd want. A, I, oh man! I mean, you look at the Type R, and that's not an attractive car either. So maybe it just doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, I liked the fit. It was fun to drive. Uh, the older ones were a little more fun to drive than the current ones, but it's it was much more engaging than the HRV and a lot lighter. And that's kind of what I liked the most about it while it was still being practical. The the HRV, I mean, if you want all-wheel drive, I guess that's your only choice. So uh, we've all been indoctrinated that that's required for the winter. And I think that probably hurt fit sales a little bit. Okay. Um, so anything else you want to add about this, um, about this Civic uh, SI Coupe? I think it's worth a drive. I think if you're in the market for a very affordable compact sporty car i mean it's it's relatively fun it's not a serious performance car but it's a it's a way to stand out and not drive an suv it's a way to not drive a small sedan like everyone else and you're not going to see a ton of them out there so i don't think it's a bad option and uh if you can live with having just two doors then why not do that so was it worth the year-long wait for you (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, the, the problem right now is there's so few places you can drive and there's so few places you can go to. And uh, I would have had a lot more options last year at this time in terms of road trips and whatnot. I'm I'm not sold. I think I honestly I'm not sure that it's as um, appealing of a product. Um, I think there, as you mentioned, there are more sporty and um, they they hit the mark when it comes to something being fun to drive. Well, it's but, it's not it's not raucous, you know. It's not like an N from from Hyundai, where you're going to have like a, a loud exhaust and flashy and. That but you can still thing. get a Veloster Turbo, right? Like that's still yeah, there. You can, you can, and I, I, I actually in Canada you can't anymore. That's that's off the menu. It's just going to be um, ends from now on, I believe. But uh, the, oh in, man, in the United- I should I should have driven a regular Veloster when I had the chance. Now you'll now you'll never know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I guess it is like a Veloster Turbo, but again, it feels bigger and it's not a hatchback. So, you know, different kind of thing. Interesting. Um, let's uh, finish off this week's podcast by talking about uh, something somebody somebody mentioned to us on, in an email. Yeah, we had our, our, our listener, um, um, Jude, who contacted us again. He was uh, curious. He had another question about cars in Canada <laughs> and cars in the United States and how sometimes they have different names. Sammy, what is that all about? I have no idea. I can't think. I know that we have some. Well, oh, 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 I know this, obviously. Like, uh, we call it the the Z350 or the 350Z. No, no, no. And they call it the 350Z. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about pronunciation. I'm talking about cars that had completely different names. Um, And in Canada, there are a couple that I'll, I'll talk about. Because it was oh, kind the Cash Guy and the Rogue. I know that. Cash Guy and the Rogue Sport. There you go. And, and why is it different, Sammy? What does Cash Guy mean? Uh, I don't know. Well, Kashkai is the global name for the Rogue, right? Yeah. So in Canada, it's called the Kashkai, but in the States, they chose to um, cash Related in on to the... that. Yeah, that really best-selling product, the Rogue. Exactly, exactly. But there's other cars, like from uh, General Motors, for example, where the difference was a little weirder. Um, there was a car that was called, from Buick, that was for sale for, I don't think it's on sale anymore. I think it just recently died. Uh, the Buick LaCrosse. Oh, yes. Which is a full-size car, you know, same platform as the uh, Impala and all that. And it was a good car. But in Canada, it was never called the Lacrosse. It was called something else. Uh, I believe it was the Allure, Sammy. 
Every t- every year, I thought they was still called the lacrosse for some. I thought there was like uh, a period of time where they weren't called the lacrosse. But the first generation of the car, when it came out in two thousand five, the Buick Lacrosse was called the Allure in Canada, and the reason and until twenty ten, and mm-hmm. the reason is because in French in Quebec, which is where I live, lacrosse usually means masturbate or or jerk off. But the weird thing is. Lacrosse is also a thing in Canada. Like it's it's a sport. It's the yeah. same thing it is in the states. So I think I it's a national sport. I don't. It is the national sport of Canada. Actually, <laughs> I don't understand why General Motors thought Canadians, specifically Quebecers, Quebecers, weren't mature enough to like make that differentiation between these two products. Um, but they didn't, and we had the allure for for quite a long time. Uh, but right. the weird thing was, you could when they renamed it. Uh, you could, you could like the second generation, they, they called it the allure for a little while. And then they put it back to lacrosse because they realized, Hey, we're being ridiculous. But there was like a program where you could get your old allure badges removed and they would put lacrosse badges on your car. (laughs) That's amazing. Okay. What else is there? Oh, off the top of my head. It's kind of, kind of hard to think of anything. Do do you have anything in, 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 in your, in your mind? I only know that uh, Cash Guy Rogue Sport thing and then the Z's and the Z's. The what Z's about like – sometimes their trim levels are like dramatically different. Oh, yeah. Trim levels, they never match up. I mean it's They not, never make sense. I think no. in some situations they're completely the other way around. Like a limited is a base model and a, and a, and a touring is like the top level and sometimes the other way around or something like that. One, one last thing I would probably mention in this category and this is kind of a, a name difference but also kind of a, <clears throat> a product philosophy difference. When – Volkswagen has a history of when they bring out the new Golf and the new Jetta, they keep selling the old Golf and the old Jetta in Canada alongside it, but they rename it the City. Oh yeah, so it's like the Golf City and the Jetta City, and they're sold slightly cheaper, but like it's harder to get parts for them, and you're really getting old generation technology at a new price. So it's like a weird. I'm pretty sure they never did this in the U.S. It's just like a weird Canada-specific thing where you can have this Golf City model that's exactly the same as a previous generation Golf in the United States. I I've seen that before, and they're also like the most ridiculous, cheapest things in the world, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a great thing. I mean, it's it's very budget oriented, but not the best way to spend your budget. I would say. We've also had a bunch of like Canadians have had a bunch of cars that Americans don't have from like. The Acura EL and Acura CSX, like, remember those things? They were, like, these base model – I've been saying like too many times, so I apologize, listeners. They are base – they were base model Acura um, sedans that were not offered in in America. That's true, like the Acura CSX, which was just a tarted-up Civic. Yeah. Uh, and then I think in North America, we were also were – the Nissan offered a car called the X-Trail for a, for a short period of time. This really, honestly, kind of budget – um, SUV, uh, and that I don't think made it to the U.S. either. No, that was never available there. How interesting! And we, we also got the first generation smart car, or I think was it, was it the smart? No, not the smart car. Sorry, the Mercedes uh, B class. Oh yeah, was a, another car that was never sold in the U.S. Um, until very recently. And there was the uh, the Chevrolet Orlando. Oh yes, I which I don't that. think was sold in the United States either. Which was like a small, almost like a PT Cruiser esque. Uh, MPV. Right. But anyway, th- thanks for uh, asking the question. We appreciate it when people uh, write in and contact us. Sammy, if people wanted to do that themselves, how would they go about it? 
Well, I would recommend they come to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, you just fill out a contact form, you and it lands in our inbox. It's the easiest it's the easiest thing there. You just click on this button at the top of the website. It says contact us and uh, it it works. It really does work. I'm surprised. Uh, another way you can get in touch with us is by going onto your favorite social media platform, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. You can get in touch with either one of us. Uh, you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin on either of those platforms. He's usually easier to find on Instagram where everything is nice and fun and there's filters everywhere. Um, and you can find me in the hate-filled world of Twitter where everyone is accusing each other of vile things i promise i won't i'll listen to you and i'll tweet back we all know so, what sammy's promises are worth they're pretty i think they're pretty good you would say uh, that as a vendor of bad promises um another thing that we can ask you to do is uh from our website you can subscribe to our podcast using um the buttons at the top of the website or you can just go to your your podcast client or podcatcher as, as they call it uh and you can subscribe to us there ben will be quick to note that uh we're on all the popular platforms Spotify, um, Apple Play, CarPlay Music, um, and YouTube Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, everything. And probably some unpopular words. ones as well. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Um, and if you want to say words, you can also email us the old-fashioned way. It's uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. S- Sammy, what are we going to be driving next week? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be spending time with the BMW M8 Grand Coupe, which is a pretty wild, pretty large um, very expensive automobile. Ben, we really should discuss our calendars every once in a while because I've got the M8 Grand Coupe, M8 Competition Grand Coupe um, next week as well. But I'll also talk to you about the Genesis GV80, which uh, is a is a all new SUV from Hyundai's uh, luxury brand. Well, I'm excited, and for everyone listening, thank you for doing that, and we'll see you next week. See you next time. <laughs>